Welcome to this, the first edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at XML Financial Group. And I tell you, I'm so excited to be here and we have an awesome show for you today. I've been doing radio and podcasts for the better part of 20 years now. And those of you who have listened to me in the past, well, you already know that I'm a value-oriented kind of investor. Hey, you know what? Some people call me cheap, but that's okay. I don't care. I don't pay them any attention. Matter of fact, I take it as a compliment. Now, what we're trying to do with this show is each week, I'm going to try and give you at least one concrete idea. Maybe it's a stock. Maybe it's a strategy. Something. One concrete idea that you can take away and you can do your own research on. Because really, that's what it's all about. You have to do your own research. You just don't buy something because you heard it on the TV or maybe the radio. Perhaps you read a magazine article. Heaven forbid your brother-in-law gave you a, a stock tip. No, you don't just buy something like that. You do your own research. You find out if it's appropriate for you and your portfolio. Yeah, you, you have to do your own work. Now, today, we'll be covering the markets. I'm going to give you my take on where we are and where we're going. Now, keep in mind, when I do this, I'm a bottoms-up investor, not a tops-down or a macro kind of person. No, I stick with the fundamentals. I think that's the logical, common-sense way to go. When you're a value investor, you ask yourself two basic questions. One, is this a great company? And two, what price am I willing to pay for it? I'm always trying to buy a dollar for 50 cents. That's how cheap I am. I focus on the fundamentals of a company. With that said, I do think you need to keep an eye on the big picture. So let's talk about the big picture for a moment. And then in about five minutes, I'll talk about a couple of my favorite stocks. I'm going to tell you, as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what I think the best bank in America is. But first, the big picture. Hey, there's a lot to be worried about. Plenty. You have North Korea, Texas floods, terror attacks, the political situation, all kinds of things. And these things come at a time when the market is a bit pricey. That's maybe an understatement. According to ValueLine, their universe of 1,700 stocks trade at a median PE of 18.8 times earnings. Folks, it ain't cheap. And not to mention, all this is happening when we're entering a time of year, September, October, that historically hasn't been too kind to stocks. But let's face it. Stocks have been pricey for some time now, and broad market valuation measures haven't helped you one bit. They haven't helped you with timing your investment decisions or even your asset allocation. I think that these valuation measures, they give you a good sense of things longer term, but they really aren't too helpful in the shorter term. Stocks are pricey right now because you really have no other alternative in a low interest rate environment, not, a, not if you're trying to seek out some type of return. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Now, the big macro theme is we are transitioning from a liquidity-driven market to an earnings-driven market. And yes, it's going to be prone to bouts of volatility. But when I look at it, I see revenues are growing, 
earnings are growing. Second quarter earnings came in stronger than most people expected, particularly strong in energy, technology, and financials. Profit margins, they're still expanding, mainly because wage pressures haven't shown up yet. And it's not just the U.S. that's doing okay. It's most of the world is growing too. Japan seemed particularly strong, and that's because they're levered to a rebound in global industrial production. Like I said at the start, at the moment, there's a lot to be concerned about it. There's no doubt about it. But I don't see any one thing that tells me to sell all my stocks and run for the hills. Don't get me wrong. A 5 or 10% correction can show up at any time. It's kind of normal. But I think it's likely that the market is higher by year end. Now, next year, next year is going to be more challenging from an investment standpoint for a number of reasons. And I'll lay all that out at our annual seminar in January. So stay tuned for details on that. I had a few people ask me to comment about the debt ceiling because that's the most obvious and immediate threat to the market, except for North Korea. But you don't know what's going to happen there or when it's going to happen. The most immediate obvious threat is the debt ceiling. It also may be the event that gives you the buying opportunity that you've been looking for. So we've had government shutdowns in the past, but the debt ceiling has never been breached. Matter of fact, the last shutdown was four years ago in October of 13, when the government shut down for, uh, I think it was 16 days. Now, in my opinion, the debt ceiling will always be raised always be raised because the government couldn't stand the outrage that would come from social security checks not being mailed out to the seniors. I think the worst case scenario for the market would be a two-week shutdown at the beginning of October just before the debt ceiling hit. We wouldn't see any long-lasting economic effects, but I think it would give the market an excuse to correct. And I have to tell you, when I'm sitting here thinking about it, I think even the likelihood of that scenario has been diminished by the events in Houston. Could you imagine just how politically damaging it would be to shut down the government during a humanitarian emergency? I don't see it happening. My advice for the moment is to stay conservative, keep your allocation reasonable, and you the only way you know if you have a reasonable allocation is if you have a financial plan. That's the most important thing. And it probably doesn't hurt to have some traditional safe haven assets tucked away. You always got to have something for a rainy day. So I'm looking at the clock here. It's time for a short break. When we come back, it's going to be time for the fun stuff. We'll be talking about two of my favorite stocks. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You've worked hard, you've saved and invested along the way. Now you wanna make sure all your hard work pays off so you can do what matters most to you, whether it's giving back to your community or ensuring a safe, comfortable retirement, it's never too late to start planning. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. If you want someone who can help you navigate the investment landscape, then please visit us at our website xmlfg.com or call us at 301-770-5234. Welcome back to Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman here at XML Financial Group. 
If you happen to miss a show, don't worry. You can always catch up by visiting our website. It's xmlfg.com. I'll give it to you again. It's xmlfg.com. Or you can always find us on iTunes and Google, wherever podcasts tend to hang out at. Now, I was sitting here this morning and I was reading an article. I need some help here. I was reading this article on Howard Schultz. He's the executive chairman of Starbucks. He was the CEO. He's the executive chairman uh, of Starbucks now. And he was quoted as saying, the new Starbucks roasteries were delivering an immersive, ultra-premium coffee-forward experience. Could someone please explain to me what an immersive coffee forward experience is? You know, maybe I'm out of touch with the world, but I just can't figure that one out. You know, I, sometimes I wonder if these folks really listen to what they're saying. So if you could explain it to me, email me at podcast, it's plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Hey, let's dive into the fun stuff. We have about 10 minutes and I got two stocks I want to cover. The first one is a bank stock. Now, financials have typically been a staple in value investors' portfolios practically forever, and there's a reason for it. It's because they've historically had decent growth rates, they've traded at lower than market P.E. ratios, and they've paid higher dividends than the market average. If you're trying to allocate funds now, I think the banks are a place to look. And there's a few reasons for it. And I'll give you a couple. I saw a report from FDIC, came out a few weeks ago, and it showed that there was a surge in net interest income. As a matter of fact, net interest income rose to its highest level in four years. And return on assets for the banks is at the highest level in 10 years. They're making money. If inflation picks up in the back half of the year, or the beginning of next year, you would think that the yield curve steepens and you'd have further net interest margin expansion. Now you might be saying, what's net interest margin? Let me explain it to you. What banks do is they take in deposits, they sell you CDs or what have you, and then they take that money and they lend it out longer term, think mortgages. Now net interest margin is simply the difference they pay for the deposits and the money they earned by lending it back out. So if they sell you or you buy a 1% CD and then they turn around and lend it out to someone with a 4% mortgage, then their net interest margin is going to be 3%. That's the simple explanation. And when I look at the, the, the stocks, the bank stocks, I believe the market hasn't rewarded the sector for the strong earnings they've been showing. Banks are going to benefit from a relatively healthy economy. So what do I like? Well, if you've heard me speak over the last 20 years, you know that I've always said the best bank in America was Wells Fargo, symbol WFC, and I own that stock. Wells Fargo was the best bank in America. I still think they're a good bank, good, straightforward bank, but you know what? They just can't seem to get out of their own way. So I'm going to have to take that title away from them. They are not the best bank in America as far as I'm concerned. Not anymore. 
The best bank in America, I think, is USB, US Bank Corps. Right now, it's under 51, it's about $51. It's paying a 2.2% dividend. So who are they? Well, they're the fifth largest bank in America, and that's based off of assets, deposits, and market cap. There's a big gap between USB and what I call the big four. You know, Wells Fargo, Bank America, JP Morgan, you, you get it. There's a big gap between the big four and USB. And what I like about them is that they've been able to generate some really, really attractive returns on capital in what I would call a really challenging low rate interest environment. And we've been in this low interest rate environment for quite some time now. The difference between them and the big four is that USB generates as much revenue from fees-based services, things like merchant processing, uh, issuing credit and debit cards, they have investment management services. So they earn as much revenue from fee-based services as they do from lending. Now, fee income is about 45% of total revenue. And the thing about fee income is it doesn't require as much capital as interest income. So the result is, is that for every dollar of deposit, USB generates a higher rate of profitability with, with much better capital efficiency than your typical bank. I pull out my trusty value line. And according to value line, book value has increased 8% per year for the last 10 years. And it's increased 8.5% per year for the last five years. This just doesn't happen by coincidence. This happens because you have a great management team in place. They've had a conservative under, underwriting culture, which has really been critical in protecting the value of their franchise. Because unlike nearly all their peers who during the Great Recession or the financial crisis, all their peers experienced massive losses in shareholder dilution. But USB? They stayed profitable every quarter and they were able to protect their fortress balance sheet. That was under Rich, Damon, uh, Rich Davis, who was the, the CEO, but he stepped down in April, but he still serves as executive chairman of the board. They just have a great management team. And another thing I want to mention is that they're big enough to compete nationally, but they're small enough that it isn't a burden, that they're not burdened by the regulatory and capital requirements of the bigger globally significant banks like Bank America and Citibank. Now, again, from value line, from a valuation perspective, at $50, it's trading about 13, 14 times earnings, or I should say my guess of what 2018 earnings will be. 2018 isn't that far away. Well, you know what? That's a little too much for me to pay because as you already know, I'm cheap. I think it's reasonable at $48. That's where I'd be looking at it. And the reason for that is because at $48, it would be trading about 12 times next year's earnings guess which is in line with its larger competitors. But keep in mind, I think USB deserves a premium price because of the fee income. And at 12 times earnings, it's at the bottom end of its historical trading range. Now, 
this is a pretty boring conservative type bank. But you know what? That's exactly what I don't mind owning in a volatile market. By the way, Berkshire Hathaway owns uh, more than 5% of the shares. I was talking about Wells Fargo, symbol WFC. Well, Wells Fargo, I think under $50, it is worth looking at. It may not be the best bank in America, but I do still think that it's worth looking at as a contrarian play. So, I own both USB and Wells Fargo. Let's let's move on from the financials because this is a group I really like. It's the home improvement stocks. And the reason I like them is, well, existing home prices are pushing up against their highs. And that benefits the home improvement stocks in basically two ways. First, higher prices drive a shift towards renovation versus buying a new home because new homes are, well, now they're relatively more expensive. And secondly, existing homeowners can use their higher home equity as a source of funds for renovation. I like both Lowe's and Home Depot. They're both good companies. Lowe's is symbol L-O-W, Home Depot symbol H-D. I prefer Lowe's. And that's because of valuation. I'm not going to sit here and fight with you over which one you might want to look at and do your own research on. But if you buy Home Depot, that's fine. I prefer Lowe's. Lowe's is trading at $76.50 as I sit here and record this. They're paying a 2.1% dividend. Again, I pull out my trusty value line and I see that earnings over the last 10 years have grown at 7% per year. And that's starting at the beginning of the financial crisis. So think, think about that. At the peak, at the, the housing peak. From then, Lowe's has grown its earnings 7% per year. And over the last five years, they've grown at 18% per year. 18% per year for the last five years. That's phenomenal. Lowe's is generating what I would call a pretty decent amount of free cash flow or what I call owner's earnings. It's what you might at, might call disposable income. You know, you bring home your paycheck and you pay the mortgage, you pay the car payment and all the rest of the bills that you have there. And what's left over is your disposable income. You can do your savings, the fun money, for a company, we call it free cash flow. Now, with free cash flow, a company can do a few things. They can reduce their debt, they can pay a dividend, they can buy back stock, they can reinvest it back into a company through things like research and development or expansion plans. So that's about it. As I said with Lowe's, they're generating a pretty decent amount of free cash flow and they're paying a, two, a better than 2% dividend. And the dividend growth rate for the last 10 years is 25% per year. And over the last five years, it's grown at 20% per year. They've paid an increasing dividend for 55 straight years. Think about that. 55 years of a consecutive increasing dividend so it's clearly important to them they've also used that free cash flow to buy back shares over the last 10 years they've reduced their share count by about 45 percent they bought back nearly half of the company over the last 10 years 
as far as valuation is concerned, I'm guessing they earn about five and a quarter for next year. And at $76, that puts them trading about 14 times next year's earnings, which is near the bottom of the range that it's traded at over the last 15 years. Value Line gives them a financial strength rating of A+, which is the highest you can get. And I tell you, balance sheets matter. They get an earnings predictability score of 100, and that's the highest. It's on a scale of 1 to 100. 100 is the highest. And they get a safety rating of 2 on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being the highest. So this is certainly a very, very good company trading well below the market value or market multiple and the multiple of its biggest competitor, Home Depot. I think Lowe's is a buy under $76, $75. I think it's a buy under there. But again, you have to do your own research and make sure these things are appropriate for you. Now, I'll tell you, that's about all we have time for today. I want to thank you for listening. And since this is a new show, if you found it useful, please tell your friends how they can find us and give us a listen. We'll be doing a new show every Wednesday. And remember, we believe it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. This has been Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. The opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the host and may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.